Thanks for joining us. The guest today is Ryan Wilson, uh, candidate for auditor, state of Minnesota. Ryan, thanks so much for making it. Thank here. you. Excited to be here. Yeah. As you said, I'm running for state auditor. It's running for state auditor. And um, yeah, I mean, obviously met a number of times on the campaign trail. We've had lunch. It's been uh, fun. And I forgot just how much, uh, how busy it is to see you around. So like I've gotten my life back to, to some degree. <laughs> so I really appreciate you making time to come by today. And Ton of stuff to talk about. I mean, obviously, we'll talk a little about politics, but um, just some background on yourself. So, Minnesota guy. Yeah, you know, born and raised here. Uh, did a stop off in Rochester early in my life. My dad worked for IBM, so that's where IBM was, and uh, then moved back up here. Uh, IBM people call it "I've been moved," and uh, came up to Minneapolis. Uh, we lived in Brooklyn Park for a while, and then we eventually settled in Plymouth. And then I went to Wyzetta High School. Cool. Uh, and then I'm a U of M guy. Went to U of M for undergrad, U of M for my MBA, and then I went to Mitchell Hamlin for law school. Awesome. And I'm raising my kids not too far from my uh, my house growing up. Uh, we're just in South Maple Grove. And, cool. And i got five kids we're raising. So. so you have your professional life. Tell me about that. Yeah, so uh, early on, the plan was to go to medical school. Um, <laughs> Good thing you avoided that, <laughs> right, I can yeah. tell you. Well, when I, was, I remember when I was in high school, um, uh, my parents were both in business, and to rebel against them, I said, "I'm not going into business. I'm going to go into. I'm going to go to medical school. That'll teach. That'll teach them." And, uh, and they were just smiling the whole time. Uh, and so, uh, went to, you know went to undergrad at the U of M. Thought I was going to go to medical school. Um, was planning on it, and then I got a summer job interning at a company called Medtronic. Uh, hadn't heard of Small it before company, as a kid. Yeah, yeah a little company might might have heard of it. Hadn't heard of it before. Went there. Said, oh, this is neat. And I started doing clinical research, and uh, you know, getting to run different programs and. Uh, pretty early on in my career, I was able to work with some really top-level doctors. And one of the guys was a, a cardiologist to the Queen of England. And so, you know, here's me, a 20, 21-year-old at the time, getting to design studies, um, a 21, 22-year-old, design studies and do some really neat work. And said, so, you know what, I would think I want to do this. I think I can help more people you know, as a clinical researcher than as a, as a doctor. Right? Yeah. And, you know, there's a certain throughput. You can only see so many patients. Obviously, I appreciate doctors can do research, you know, mm -hmm. as well. But I, I like the idea of... Um, Kind of designing and taking the top, you know, top-down approach on things, right? And so, did that for a couple of years. Our department grew. Um, you know, everybody wanted to do clinical trials. It became a kind of hot new thing in the mm -hmm. marketplace, and we couldn't hire fast enough. So, I looked at a friend there and said, "Hey, we know how to do these things. Let's go. Uh, let's go start our own company." And so, we went and started a company, basically doing what we had done before. And uh, medical device companies then outsourced to us to to run and to audit their clinical trials, and spent the next ten plus years doing that. I grew the company from myself and my partner to, by the time we left, we combined with another company. You know, I think we were in, you know, dozens of countries across the world, somewhere around 2,000, 2,000 plus employees and uh, really a global leader in our field. And so wow. it was great. We helped, uh, we helped medical device companies here get their products to market. Um, so we we're part of that medical alley that people, uh, people refer to it here. So a business owner, a Person with a background in science, statistics. We could talk all about the abuse of uh, <laughs> both of those things, science and statistics, in the last few years. And um, totally comfortable, great life, beautiful young family, and you decide, I'm going to run for office. Yeah, you know, uh, um, in 2006, when I started my company, I was a 
you know, I was uh, 26 at the time, or naive enough to do it. You know, I had, my wife was pregnant at the time with our first kid, and then we have five kids. And uh, I said, can I go start this company? Can I do this? And she said, sure, you know, I won't stop you. Go ahead. She was supportive, right? And so um, we talked a lot about this. And I said, this is something I think I want to do. I want to run for state auditor because, one, our current state auditor really isn't doing the job, right? We're seeing a lot of stuff happen in Minnesota, a lot of fraud, a lot of waste, a lot of abuse, right? All these headlines that never get resolution. Um, and I want to help be a part of the solution. Minnesota had been through a lot the last mm-hmm. couple of years. And you know, I wanted to throw my hat in the ring and, and help Minnesota and give back to Minnesota with my skills. So I asked her, and uh, we kind of talked about it for a couple months, and eventually it was, you know what, I'm not going to stop you, <laughs> and, uh, which is her way of saying I support you and, and you know, go forward. And she's been great. I couldn't, have, I couldn't have done this without her, and you know, she's really a partner on this whole, uh, this whole journey. Well, I think people who, who haven't run, and particularly even, for, you know, even at a local level, it, it's brutal on the family. Um, you know, even if you took away the hit pieces and you took away the, just the sheer volume of time away of missed games, of lost date nights, um, there's a ton of stress on the family. And I think, you know, irrespective of the side of the political divide that you're on, there should be respect for the families that get dragged into this. Um, there is really no benefit <laughs> to them at all. It really is sacrifice. And um, to help someone try to gain a position of public service, you know, it's kudos to you, you and your family. And I, I know firsthand what that's like. And it's not easy. So getting people who are comfortable and successful and have, you know, kind of, quote, unquote, no good reason to run, right? You're not running to accumulate power or wealth or any of that. You're, you're running because you feel a need to serve and improve the state that you love. Um, but yeah, it takes a lot of sacrifice. So, um, but, you know, I wouldn't trade it for anything. It's been fun. Yeah, I've gotten to meet Minnesotans from all around the state. You know, uh, you know, a lot of these places I normally would visit for hockey tournaments with my kids. <laughs> I got five <laughs> hockey players, and so we're up in Duluth, Cloquedo. You know, we're down. You know, we're down in Rochester, right? Uh-huh. Usually for a hockey tournament. But now we get to go there and, and see a different side of it, right? And meet different people and hear different problems. And so it's a. Uh, it's been really fun kind of visiting in a different capacity, you know, these different cities around the state. It is, and you realize how big and beautiful this state is. I mean, I remember the first time I went down to Caledonia, I was like, this is this is unbelievably gorgeous. And my, you know, I had dinner with my brother-in-law last night, and he's like, yeah, I'd love to own hunting land down there, but it's too expensive because it's so good. You know, it's the best hunting Great land Great turkey hunting state. down there. Yeah, yeah. And just absolutely gorgeous, and then all the way up to, you know, Thief River Falls, and just, it's it's an amazingly diverse and huge state, you know, until you have to go. I remember one drive was TRF to Mankato, right? And in a day and, you know, multiple events, (laughs) you're like, this place is, it's enormous and, um, and incredibly diverse, right? So people from those areas are different from one another. The business environment, the, um, the, what people are like. And so it, it gave me a lot more respect for the state and, um, for everyone who lives here and, so yeah, that's that's a fun side yeah. effect of it. And, and, and you know, you know, every you know, you're right. Everybody has their own different economy. I was just up on the Iron Range the other day, and we were meeting with um, some people in some mines, right, and mm-hmm. hearing about what that means to them up there. And and uh, we met with you know farmers, we met you know, all, all around. But and people have their different uh, issues. But there's also um, similar issues wherever I go to. And so schools is one of those, for example. Mm-hmm. And law inf- and law of crime is another one, mm-hmm. right? People want to know. What can we do about crime? You know, the collective we, right? How can we fix this? And and schools, what can you do as auditor about schools? Right. Maybe we can talk about that later, but it's one of the things we announced actually a couple hours ago is our support our schools plan and how a state auditor 
we can help uh, you know we can help make our schools stronger you know through auditing through performance audits through sharing best practices and so let's back up talk to me like I'm a skin doctor because I am so what <laughs> is an auditor what is a state auditor and all right so the state the state auditor it's been in our constitution since the beginning um, so our founders thought it was important enough to have in there it's just like the attorney general secretary of state the governor it's one of the executive uh, constitutional offices and it doesn't report to the governor it's its own you know it's its own office uh, and it's responsible right now for overseeing counties cities, school districts, uh, some political subdivisions like the Met Council. And that's changed over the years. The legislature is, uh, gets to determine the scope of the state auditor, you okay. know, what it oversees, what it doesn't. And so we have a legislative auditor, uh, and this began in the 70s, um, that oversees state agencies. So things like the Department of Education, Department of Health, um, uh, DNR. And, um, and so that's, that's kind of the division of labor. So the state auditor oversees county-level governments and below, about $60 billion dollars in taxpayer dollars. Okay. It used to be 40, but the COVID money came in, jumped up to 60. So okay. there's a lot of money that's flowing through our local our local government. So we have two audit arms, the legislative auditor. Which is appointed which by the is legislature. Appointed by the legislature. Um, and then the state auditor. Right, which is people call it the, the people's auditor, right? The, so the watchdog. You know, because it's accountable to the people, ultimately. It's the people that elect it, and they're there to, to stand up and, and speak out on behalf of the people. Now, the major political parties in the state are all have a candidate. Why is the auditor a partisan position? Well, that goes back to, you know, it's in the Constitution. It's sure. part of, it's one of these elected uh, elected positions. And but it would seem to be, right? I mean, it should theoretically be the least partisan, right? You should just audit everything, right? Is our tax dollars being spent for what we thought they'd be spent for? Is their money missing? $60 billion is an enormous amount of money. It would seem to me that some of that gets misaccounted for, either uh, accidentally or on purpose, and we'd want to know where it is and clean it up. Yeah, right? there's this idea that two plus two equals four, right? And that shouldn't be a partisan... <laughs> people right. shouldn't debate that, right? Yeah. They'll be arguing over that. But um, you know, it always surprises me. I can say the most... Um, non-controversial thing that we're going to do. We're going to help schools, right? And just because as a Republican, I'm taking that position, you know, <laughs> my opponents, the Democrats feel a need to say, well, they must be wrong, you know, so we're going to go the other direction, right? And so uh, you know, I like it as this. When I'm state auditor, it's going to be like an umpire. I'm going to call balls and strikes. Doesn't matter if you're Republican or Democrat. Mm -hmm. uh, doesn't matter who's running the city or the county. Uh, if you're stealing taxpayer dollars, we're going to, you know, we're going to find out. We're going to shine a light on it. You know, I have no, uh, I have no old allegiances to mm -hmm. you know to any particular person. It's a matter of doing what's right for the taxpayer and the tax dollar. And you think that, again? You think you know? You think that would be obviously right, nonpartisan. Yeah. Um, yeah. But my opponent uh, has been on the record, and since since the day she ran uh, four years ago, that she thinks the office should be partisan, and she thinks the office should be progressive, and she said she's happy there's a progressive in the office. And we just that's where we, we just fundamentally disagree. I mean, yeah, I see that, it as that a, seems that seems very bizarre. I mean, I, I would say you know someone listening that would maybe say, well, I'm not interested in, you know, a conservative candidate or Republican candidate or whatever, but just hear someone say that. Like, shouldn't the audit position be someone who's willing to audit everybody, not just audit the programs that are on the other side of the political aisle, right? I mean, it really should be something where is the taxpayer getting value for the dollar or like what they thought they were paying for? And that, and that, you know, that's one of the great parts about going out and talking with folks. And we do listening sessions. We door knock with local candidates. And we get to speak to all kinds of people across the spectrum, right? Mm -hmm. uh, people who are concerned themselves on the left, on the right, in the middle. And when I talk about what I'm going to do, you know, people on the right are like, that's great. We're going to save taxpayer dollars. We're right. going to watch over, right? right? Um, but there's a lot of people on the left that, are, that believe in what I'm, you know, proposing. Mm -hmm. And they look at it as somebody coming in to protect 
the programs that they fought hard for. And so sure. we have child daycare programs. We have child food programs, right? We have these programs to give people kind of leg up when they're, you know, when they're down. Mm-hmm. Minnesotans spend a lot of money uh, on doing that, right? Mm-hmm. We're not going to let you know, those that fall into need you know, stay down there. We want to give that helping hand. But when people abuse these programs, that's taking money from somebody that you know, is supposed to be helped. Right. And so, like I said, people on, the, people on the left, people that see the value in these, a lot of these programs, they like the idea of having an auditor that's going to be proactive in protecting them so the money can go to those things that are needed. And right now, we have an auditor that, unfortunately, uh, doesn't really do much. You don't, see, you, don't, you don't see a lot of our current state auditor. And that's not true of past auditors, both Democrat and Republican. Mm-hmm. We've had more active auditors in the past. And just this current one um, uh, really isn't uh, being the kind of watchdog or whistleblower for the people, right? And being that person to raise those issues when they arise, whether it's within, you know, the direct jurisdiction or not. Um, if you see something that's an issue, you should raise it for the public's awareness. Sure. So that whoever it is, you know, has responsibility oversight of that can fix that problem and not letting things persist. Yeah. So so you're, you mentioned the Met Council. So you, the state auditor is the watchdog for Met Council, which is- yeah, Every annual. year they get an annual audit by the state auditor's office. And uh, you might have heard of something called the Southwest Light Rail. <laughs> there seems to be some issues <laughs> with the news this lately. project. Um, you know, it's the largest infrastructure project in the history of Minnesota. And this is one of those areas where we talk about, you know, uh, how can an auditor be partisan? Or if you wanted to interject partisanship, you know, mm-hmm. how is it? And it's, it's not just where you audit, but it's where you don't audit. And it's mm-hmm. the things you don't look at. And the state auditor, as the leader, as the head, sets the direction and the focus of where their auditors go. And the, the auditors in the state auditor's office are wonderful. They're, they're skilled at what they do. Uh, I've met several current and past ones. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they'll go where they're told and they'll, they'll uh, you know, they'll dig in and, and do, what, um, you know, do what they're supposed to do and they'll find stuff. But when, when an emphasis isn't put on looking at things that have a high risk, like Southwest Light Rail. You would think that the most expensive project would also be the most audited most project. Yes. That's right. And, and, and you know, had the current state auditor raised red flags sooner, then maybe there could have been a course correction. Course correction. Right? And I'm not, look, I don't, I don't, you don't have to be, as an auditor, it's not our decision to be for or against light rail. Correct. But we should be for or against on time, on budget right. <laughs> projects, That's right? right? <laughs> and in so much as that we can be a part of that by shining a light on what's happening, it can allow decision makers to make that a decision. But now the train is too far <laughs> left the station, right? That um, <laughs> it, puts, it puts policymakers in a hard spot. You know, what do you do when you've, laid this much track, done this much work, acquired mm-hmm. this much property, right? And that's the unfortunate part about you know, having the auditor asleep with the switch here. How many railroad analogies can I, can I, can I, I have love in it. here? Um, that uh, it ties the hands of the people uh, that are making decisions now. So you don't have a police power that comes with this. So you basically, you can go in and they have to show you the books on the project and how it's being run, and then you, you make that report public? Correct. And then the legislature can choose to act on that, or could be could it be referred to the AG? If well, the legislature can act on it, right? Other local policy groups, you know, um, uh, city councils. If we're talking about something mm-hmm. like the city, um, counties, right, school districts, wherever the issue is, you know, that elected body can then address you know address the issue. But if it is criminal, and the statutes talk about this, there you know a referral um, shall be made to the county prosecutor to prosecute. Of course, you have to have a prosecutor that's willing to prosecute it. Sure. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the stuff is mismanagement stuff. I don't know like, the stuff we're talking about. Like, it's fraud, right. like criminal stuff. Yeah. Uh, but there is fraud that happens. We saw the daycare fraud from a couple of years ago. Yeah, well, what was the story with that? Uh, well, basically, people are, there's programs that, you know, when people need help with daycare, right, so they can continue to go to work, so they can earn a living, uh, but maybe need a little extra support so they can, you know, have somebody watch their kids. Because the price of daycare is, you know, it's expensive. It's high. Yeah. And, um, and so this program is well-meaning. Under, you know, it's under somebody saw a problem. They said, let's do a program to... To do it, but what people found is they could take advantage of it 
because the internal controls weren't there to make sure that only people that uh, either qualified for it were getting it or um, that the kids were actually being watched. What they found is that people could turn in you know, time cards or cards with how many kids that they were watching, and they weren't actually watching that many kids. And so when the government just takes it and pays it, right. um, people realize they can abuse this program. So the tinfoil hat person in me says, well, was, was it engineered like that from the beginning? And right, I mean, was it engineered to make it loose? Because you would seem to want to engineer a system that pays every valid claim, but then s- scrutinizes it at a systemic level so that we're not paying unvalid claims, right? And they make that as easy as possible. There has to be some check on it, right? Are you actually, are kids actually showing up to your house to get, you know, we're not going to adjudicate the quality of what you're doing, but at least are there bodies there (laughs) that equal the amount of payouts that you're getting? And, you know, if that's not happening, I mean, that, that seems to me extraordinarily concerning. And and it was, now we're not talking five or $10,000. This was how much money well, um, there were some people that alleged 100 million plus, and so people, I- investigators inside uh, the Department of Human Services, that thought it was at least 100 million dollars or more. Wow! So they brought so nonpartisan. These are government employees, government employees and yeah. they came up with this number. Yeah. That, that's an incredible number. And uh, at a minimum, some of them thought as high as 50 percent of the program was fraudulent. And so, and a lot of this is hard to prove, right? right? And right. and so this gets referred on. I mean, there was a big scandal in the news a couple of years mm-hmm. ago, right? And the legislature held hearings on it. They brought in the legislative auditor to come. Can do do an assessment of this, and that auditor put the floor at about seventy-two, uh, give or take seventy-two, seventy-three million dollars. And that's not to say that it wasn't more. It's saying this is what we can ascertain, wow. you know, for sure, right? And so, uh, it's what you don't know. Everything above that that uh, we don't know. So in that report, it referred to several things at the county level that could be addressed to shore up these programs. And I said before, the state auditor oversees the county level, and that's where a lot of our a lot of our um, well, our our, our, our uh, safety net programs are flowing through the counties. That's who administers okay. them. That's who qualifies people for them. And so, unfortunately, the state auditor really never picked up that ball and did anything with it. And so we don't know that those programs are shored up yet uh, because we're not... You know, you asked about whether it was designed to be loose. I don't know about that. Yeah, I right, can't, right, exactly. But, yeah, no one can know. That's um, speculative. But, but when the legislature or when the legislative auditor says, here are the things that need to be fixed, and then we never hear back from the state auditor whether those things are fixed, that undermines confidence in those programs. Right. And the next time somebody has a program, maybe a good idea, the legislature, people are cynical about it, right? And they say, well, these are all just going to be defrauded anyway. Oh, and so there may be people that need to be helped that don't get help then because our programs are being run loose and they don't have the internal controls that they right. need. So you mentioned your pony. You're doing extraordinarily well. We can talk about how badly done the KSTP poll was. <laughs> I think that it's worth, you know, from a, from a data and data analytics standpoint, making that pit stop because polling itself is a very fascinating idea um, nationally. And we can talk about some of the, the issues with polling in 16 and then again in 20 and some of the comments recently from, you know, um, some of the big pollsters nationally. But you were basically right there, the same same number. And then a significant fraction was undecided. Right. Yeah. yeah, we were with uh, 1% of our we down by 1%. We were the closest to the statewide races. And, uh, yeah, I think there were some questions about that poll. It was as with all polls. Right. Um, but we'll claim, we'll take it. I mean, I think yeah. that goes to the hard work we're doing. We were out at the state fair, you know, for 12 days in a row. We had people at the booth the entire time. I spent a bunch of time there and, you know, we got to meet with, I think, you know, hundreds of thousands of Minnesotans obviously saw our booth. We got to meet with tens of thousands of them at our booth and talk about these issues, right? About, about pensions, about safety net programs, about law enforcement, about schools. And so I, I think that reflects some of the hard work that we've been putting in around the state to have a message that spans both you know, left and the right. Right, so. right, yeah. It, so so you degrade in that poll, issues with that poll where uh, the timing of it, right, it was a Labor Day weekend <laughs> poll. <laughs> and online, primarily online, and which is a different kind of respondent. Yep, yep, different kind of respondent, right? So, so that's, 
you know, understanding the um, the information you get back is you need to understand the questions you're asking, who you're asking them to, and then what are you trying to extrapolate from that? And that's where the errors get introduced in, in polling. Uh, no one saw Trump in 2016 coming because either they weren't asking the right questions, they weren't asking for the right people, or they weren't drawing the correct conclusions from what they got back. So garbage in, garbage out. And there was some question about now when you look at national polling numbers saying, oh, the Democrats look extraordinarily strong. Well, who's, who's answering their phone? And if you've got you know Joe Biden vilifying half of America with the uh, you know that crazy the red speech, um, saying that they're all extremists, and I get a call from a poll company, I I don't want them to know how I'm going to vote, and so of course it's going to skew with the way those poll numbers kind of look, and so you know that's we'll see what happens in November, but it'll be I'm very curious if it's you know the, the quote unquote end of polling that there'll be some massive shift required in how people adjust. I mean, you you have a sometimes a 10 to 12 point swing I've seen in some national polls, depending on if it was a quote unquote conservative outfit doing it like Trafalgar, or if it was, you know, like YouGov economist type poll. And um, that's a, I don't remember historically it being that disparate. It was like, yeah, 3%, 4%, something in that range. So I'm really curious. Hey, you know, I, you know, I, we talked about my background before was in clinical research, yeah. medical research, right? And we deal a lot with statistics. Uh, FDA heavily regulates, you know, sample sizes and these mm-hmm. sort of things. And and um, used to, used to. Used to. <laughs> <laughs> well, and so one of the one of the issues when, when you're doing a sample or a poll or a survey or a clinical trial is uh, your response rate. And I've never looked into these polls before because I never had a reason to. Right? I just read the top right, line. Right. Um, and you look and you see that only two to three percent of people that they reach out to are responding to the poll. And if you were running a clinical trial and that happened, the FDA would have a lot of questions. Yes. Why, why are 97% of people choosing not to come in, right? And, and what don't you, it's that unknown unknown. What yeah. don't you know? And what, when can you really extrapolate, you know, a small group of people to the whole? And you can't. Um, you can try to. And that's where polls are more or less accurate is what, what their algorithms are for doing that extrapolation. Mm-hmm. But nobody can claim that, you know, 2 to 3% is representative of 97%. And so that's why we see these swings. And there's also things like your turnout model. Are you polling likely voters versus registered voters? And mm-hmm. how are you assuming who's going to vote this election? Yeah, I mean, the, the 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 hit from folks on the right has been, well, it's discouraging. They're attempting, they, the powers to be, or whoever, are attempting to discourage conservative voters saying, look, you thought this was going to be a red wave, and look at this polling data showing it. But, you know, no, you have to show up and vote. And as time goes on, the polling data may have some directional value. Look, if you're 35 points underwater, uh, you're underwater by quite a bit, regardless of how it is. But like, you know, in your case, it's neck and neck and, you know, who knows? I mean, maybe even positive for you and some of the other folks that are around. I mean, see Scott's poll numbers, and I'm like, it just doesn't seem right. You know, it seems off by too much. But well, you see, he went, down, he went from down 18 in that poll to, right. what, a week later, uh, down, is it seven now? Yes, yeah. And so it's one or that's two a, things. That's a crazy swing. Right. Either right. that poll was, you know, Incorrect or yeah. under right, or he's got great momentum. Right. And so either either way, you know, how do you you know how do you square yeah. that circle? Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. And, I, and I think that the the, the first, I mean, the, the the poll had so many issues with it that it's like you pulled some sample of very motivated respondents, and they were very motivated for whatever reason to answer your poll on that weekend, and they gave you. So for that population, whatever it is, uh, I think you measured their sentiment, but you didn't measure the population sentiment, and so. It, it'll be fascinating to see what happens this fall and certainly in this state with those races. And look, if I was a news agency, I would want to be skeptical. I wouldn't want to be putting 
garbage polling data out there and putting my name after it and saying this represents reality. And then all of a sudden in November, you're like, oh, God, we were off by 20%. Well, you know, come on, guys. Like, ha attempt to have some journalistic ethics here and attempt to try to find the truth in an objective, dispassionate manner because that's what you should be attempting to do, as what generations of journalists d attempted to do before. Um, so you're, you're running for auditor. You're doing well in the polls. It, the state fair, I remember that. I, I didn't want any cheese curds for like three months afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> working that booth every day. Yes. Um, so for you us, did it was that. corn dogs. It was corn dogs. Corn dogs every day. Every day. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody would just keep bringing them. I was like, oh, I can't throw this away. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and now the last sprint, right? I mean, we're getting how many weeks? Six, seven? Mm -hmm. Something in that range. Um, how do you feel? I feel good. I mean, we're excited. We're energized. You know, our team, uh, uh, we don't have as big a team as some of the other, you know, top of the ticket races, uh, but we do a lot with what we have. And we've got people highly motivated. And I've never seen, uh, I look back and I looked at, you know, the last couple auditor campaigns and the, the, the relevance and the engagement by the public as a whole in the auditor's campaign, I think, is a testament to wanting to see a change and wanting to see more accountability in government. Um, and you, you mentioned schools. So one of the areas people want to see accountability is schools. You know, we, we pay an amazing amount of money to our public schools, and yet we have declining test scores, we have um, issues with what the kids are being taught, how they're being taught, what's the level of parent engagement. What, tell me about your plan to, to kind of audit our schools, ensure that the, the enormous amount of money that we're giving them is going where we thought it was going to go, or understanding where it's going. Right. And so, yeah, like I said, I travel the state, and it's, the, it's up there with the number one question I get asked almost universally is about our schools, and that's because people, you know, they want their kids to get a good education. I mean, fundamentally, that's how they're going to set them up for life, right? I mean, they get a good education, a good base, and they'll have the same opportunities then that their parents had, and, or even better opportunities. So it's important to them. It's where we send our kids for six, seven hours a day. Right? Mm -hmm. and, um, and so they want to know that their schools are being good stewards of their money. Uh, they want to know that the money's making it to classrooms and not bureaucracies. Um, they want to know, you know, uh, that their teachers are being supported, right? And they say, look, we got good teachers. Mm -hmm. um, do, we ha do they have the tools that they need? And so we looked at that. We took that feedback. We put together a couple of listening sessions where we spoke with teachers. We spoke with school administrators, finance officers. And we formulated a plan that uh, it's a pretty straightforward plan. It involves auditing. <laughs> and a novel idea. Um, but there hasn't been an audit uh, of school districts by the state auditor's office in over 20 years. Uh, we've had about 20 years of Democrat auditors. Why? Those two why, things why tend not? to correlate. Yeah. Um, or, or, uh, you know, part of it is a funding issue. Um, you know, the, the auditor's office is, you know, funded by the legislature, and that's um, the amount of funding for the office has gone down over the years. Uh, but also it hasn't been a priority, and it's something that I'm going to make a priority to bring that back. It's not auditing every school district. Uh, that's impossible. Right. Um, or we'd have to radically change, you know, how, this, how the office is structured. But I'm going to put together a council uh, that's going to advise us on where we should be going, looking at something we did in private sector, risk-based auditing, right? Let's go to where we think the biggest risk is. So where is the most money being spent? You know, where are people struggling the most with test scores? And how can we go in and help them? So the first thing is we're going to bring back audits. We're going to look at things like finances, where the money is being spent. And, and this is done in other states around the country. Uh, the Kentucky auditor, who's a Democrat, um, audited their largest school district, similar to our, you know, let's call it uh, Anoka, Hennepin, or Minneapolis, St. Paul, those, school, those size school districts and found millions of dollars in potential savings. And at the same time, found that teachers were having to pay a lot of money out of their own pocket you know, for their own classrooms, Supplies right? Yeah. And so, uh, you know, can you think of other jobs where you have to go you know, <laughs> shell out your own money to do your job, right? And so um, 
that's not fair to those teachers, right? And so something, something, something is failing if you know we're, we have some ability to save money and and spend money more efficiently, and at the same time, asking on the backs of our teachers for them to spend their own money. And so again, the Kentucky audit like this one in Kentucky was able to help bring those issues to the forefront, so those communities can then solve that problem. You mentioned that the legislature has not adequately funded the auditor's office. That would seem to me to be one of the highest ROI funding sources you could do, right? I mean, pour money into the auditor so you can find all this extra money. You know, legislators like spending money. Great, go find stuff that's not being spent or being misspent, and then you get to, you know, reappropriate that for something else. Um, it, it seems to have a very high ROI, and so I don't understand why you would cut that other than, you know, politically, they're going to find things that, oh, that's inconvenient or... Like I said, the, you know, the, the thing was engineered to be wasteful from the start, and that's going to make someone mad that has a contract. So, you know, it, it seems to me that uh, parents would not have any problems with the money going to buy markers and Kleenex for the classroom. But then again, some consultant who's taking some of that money instead of it going to the teachers at the pointy end of the spear might not be so happy about it right. and may be able to pull the strings of the legislators and say, you know, I, I don't think you need to, to audit this that hard. <laughs> don't, don't look here. Well, you know, what I found most legislatures, again, left and right, uh, at least the ones I've spoken to, are for auditing and the idea of doing more auditing. Mm -hmm. um, the problem is they nobody's made the business case to them. And what's happened over the years is, you know, the auditor's office has become less and less relevant because it's not answering the questions that are mattering, you know, to Minnesotans. Mm -hmm. And... We're going to bring that back. We're going to restore the office to the strength that it used to be under the Arnie Carlson. So Arnie Carlson used to be an auditor. And people knew he was the auditor uh, because he went out and he addressed these big problems head on. And you heard from him and he was relevant you know, to the uh, to the public. And there's been this movement over the last five years from, again, Democrats and Republicans to say, do we even need a state auditor's office anymore? That's incredible. And uh, I, I say, no, we need more. Oh, I, say, I mean, I say, I say, no, you're wrong. We need more auditing, not less yeah. auditing. Right? Well, I guarantee you that I'll be all for uh, additional people working for Mindor auditing businesses. The last thing these guys want is anyone auditing government. And that's really what it should be. A government needs to be accountable to the people. And it's our money that's being spent. And so let's make sure it's going to where we think it ought to go. But, you know, there's vested interest who may not be comfortable with that. Um, but, but I think you, you made a good point, which is that right now the auditor's office receives uh, right around $12 million a year, give or take. Right. Uh, not a lot. Right. Uh, when you see these, you know, frauds, I think we talked $7,200 million, yeah. right? Large, you know, light rail overruns, billion dollars over budget. Um, you catch a couple of those and it pays for itself. That, that would be the slogan. I would say for every dollar you put in the auditor's office, we return $12 back to the citizens of Minnesota. Um, that's going to be compelling, and it's going to remove the partisanship from this issue. And, you know, if you want to increase funding for that department, which I think is incredibly important to keep government accountable to the people, then you're going to need bipartisan support to, to do that, to, to get those funds in the right bucket. And really, you know, like we keep saying, this really is not a partisan right. issue. It just... That's and I think we'll make the case. You know, I wouldn't want to be the one that's on the side of uh, anti-accountability and transparency if <laughs> I was in right. the legislature, that's right? Because right. uh, then these things will come up again, and you're going to have to answer the constituents. And so I think we'll see a big appetite for, you know, if we can make the business case, the the, the, the case to the we're making it to the people right now, you know, and they're going to elect me, you know, come November. Um, but we can make it to the legislature, you know, come January as to why we need to invest in this office. And I think it's there. I think it'll happen. Um, again, the legislators I talked to. They're really interested in um, making sure that the money that they appropriate mm -hmm. is going to the places that it's supposed to go. That sounds awesome. So you've been involved in politics. 
now for not I guess yeah for when did you get in and winter uh, I think the last day of January yeah uh, right around end of January yeah and what's one of the biggest takeaways you've had from this whole process I've loved meeting the people I love hearing stories um, uh, you know one thing that fuels a race is donations, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we need we need people to, you know, we need money to be able to run to, to get our message out. Um, but when I get these notes from people that send me, you know, and I, I try to call everybody um, back no matter the dollar yeah. amount, you know, uh, a $25 donation, right? And I call, you know, someone up uh, that gave it, and they're you know, a retiree up north in Bagley, for example, and, and just chatting with them about, you know, why? You know, why did you, why did you feel an interest to invest in the auditor's race and just hearing their stories and hearing why it matters to them and hearing what part of my messages resonate and, and, um, and just how that was a, it was a big sacrifice for that particular individual and just realizing that I'm representing, you know, real people, right? It's not, Mm -hmm. this is just abstract. It's not some popularity contest, but there are real people with, you know, real concerns that I then get to, will get to go represent, you know, once elected. And so that's been a wonderful part of the experience. That's awesome. Um, Probably one of the most surprising parts of the experience is you can say you can say the most positive. I think we talked about this earlier. Yeah. It's the most positive thing in the world, right? Uh, you can say puppies are great, and you know you're, 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 the DFL will find a way to twist that uh, <laughs> into something into something wrong. And so. Well, you got to experience the DFL machine right firsthand. I mean, it, it's um, and even you know they're they're allies in the media, right? We talked about like favorable coverage. You know, look just. D- try to be as neutral as you can, but it's clear that that is impossible for it, almost every single person I've met in, in the media. How, how your quotes are clipped, how the video is strung together, the lead on the stories. Um, you know, I mean, didn't uh, your opponent, like, turn a car upside down at a... Yeah, we don't... I've been, I purposely have not commented on yeah, that. Yeah, but that, I mean, like, well, okay, but that doesn't get coverage, right? But, you know, that's... Clearly true. Anyone can go look it up. And you're like, why isn't this in the... Because I can guarantee you if you did that, <laughs> it would be... <laughs> or anyone that, that's running with honor after the name would do that. And that's, that's really disappointing. And I think gives people a very skewed sense of who the candidates are, what they truly believe. I mean, the hit pieces on Scott or Matt Burke, are, they're, they're, they're gross, you know, and they're complete distortions of reality. And that does nothing to bridge this worsening divide between people that in many ways is artificial, right? Uh, your team red or your team blue, okay. Well, you know, no, actually, we have very similar concerns, and particularly when it comes to this specific issue, um, every single person in the room wants their money to be spent. Now, we, we're gonna, we should get back to arguing about what the, the size and scope of government is. That's what seemed to be the case for a long time. But arguing about the fact that the government ought to be accountable to the people uh, in no way is controversial. And and, and and like all of us, everybody has their biases, right? Um, one of the things that I think is hopeful is there are good journalists out there, mm-hmm. um, and I've you know I've met some of them, and they've given fair coverage. And I think as you pointed, that's that's all that's all we ask, right? That's, Call it down the middle. That's all uh, we ask, exactly. Call it down the middle, and then let people actually try to make a decision. On I, their I think, own. and I think that gets you know that gets noticed. You know, I, I don't own a paper, never ran one, but I got to imagine if you're a business owner and owned a paper. Um, you want to sell papers, right? right <laughs> that's, that's your right. job, and and I, I think you see that the you know the the coverage that again shows both sides, right? Doesn't have to be all positive for both sides. It can mm-hmm. show negative for both sides, right? Mm-hmm. But just kind of laying out a story out there for their readers um, and giving a balanced story. Uh, that's the type of stuff that people will consume, and it's, it makes good business sense, also. Yeah, so. yeah, absolutely. And you, and you would think that you know, as it pertains to the position you're running for, um, finding government waste, fraud, corruption, and abuse would be something that 
<laughs> that they would want. So they would want an aggressive auditor that they could kind of say, hey, wh- you know, what are you looking at? And gives the big juicy stories like Southwest Light Rail and you know yeah. all the issues that that project has had. I met one journalist, great, you know, great, great, good journalist, and um, she was mentioning she came from another state. That one of the first things she does when she goes to states is she finds a state auditor's office because it's right, you know, people, you know, people, it's a job for a lot of these journalists too, right? And yeah. they got to write stories and they're on deadline and they got to, you know, come up with ideas. And um, in a lot of these places, the state auditor's office is a great place to go find story ideas because they're digging and they're doing these stories. And this person commented that they don't see a lot of that here. Yeah. And I think that's, again, part of that problem, whether it be the legislature saying, should we get rid of the state auditor's office or legislators saying that, whether it's people asking, do we even have a state auditor? Um, it's been a problem over these last four years is we've had scandals, some of the biggest scandals, financial scandals in, in middle Minnesota history, um, yet we haven't heard anything from our auditor on them. And even the small ones, we haven't heard anything from. Right? Uh, St. Paul Schools the other day um, fired their chief financial officer. And the hmm. Star Tribune, or Pioneer Press, I'm sorry, wrote a story about this. And, and from all accounts, it looks like this was a good person that was kind of dogged at chasing down, you know, waste and uh, not necessarily fraud, but mismanagement. And yeah. saying to these dollars. And, and when the school cuts were happening, she was on the front lines of making sure that that didn't have to make it to hurting the classrooms, again, by finding these excess uh, dollars yeah. elsewhere. Well, she gets fired, um, and that raises questions, I that think, in people's minds. That should be a scandal. Right. And so if I'm, if, I'm a, if I'm a state auditor, I look into that. I figure out what's going on. I get out, and I uh, get in front of a microphone and reassure the public that somebody is on the case, that their watchdog is here, right? And unfortunately, we don't hear that. We just hear silence from our current state auditor. Wow. And, and that shouldn't be controversial at all, right? Clearly, that financial officer was attempting to do the right thing to keep those kids in school, make sure teachers are resourced, and to get penalized and lose your job simply because I had a, you know, I have a feeling it was probably asking awkward questions, which is supposed to be the job of a financial officer or an auditor. And here's the deal. And, and maybe the auditor goes in and finds out that everything's copacetic, right? That's right. But either way, it's a matter of reassuring the public about whether whether something, you know, something good. If it's fine, it's good, you know, great. Then they can be reassured. If it's bad, at least we know and we can fix it. But this idea of not knowing is the worst of all scenarios because then right. people just, they make assumptions or they don't know or they lose trust in their government. And, you know, that's a big part of what's happened over the last four years. People have lost a lot of trust in their government. What's the last time we had a Republican state auditor? Uh, Patty Iwata in 2002. And so why is that? I mean, since then, Pat we've Anderson, had... I guess, Pat Anderson. We've had... We'd had uh, Tim Pawlenty, right? We had a... So wh- why is it people just kind of check, like they go straight Republican? Well, no, in 2006, Pawlenty won. Um, Pat Anderson, Pat Iwata, um, mm-hmm. she, uh, you know, she, uh, she lost. Uh, I believe Kiff Meyer also lost, her Secretary of State at the time. And so we had split tickets in 2006. It's fascinating, and um, obviously, I would be rooting for all Republicans up and down the the ticket. Um, but you know, I'm a realist, and I think there's a chance there could be some split in it. Um, it would be nice if the voting electorate would uh, view each candidate individually and decide on the merits of that individual candidate, and not simply just say they're all MAGA extremists just because they have an R after their name. Right. <laughs> I think we'll see that this year. You know, again, I'm, I'm going door to door, and it's a, it's a matter of me being able to get the message out. And if we can get it out, I think people will see a real distinction between myself and my opponent. And it's hard for a down-ballot race to yeah. educate people and to get past the R and the D. Um, but I think they'll see a real difference, and I, I think we'll be able to get a lot of people to split their ticket because if you want somebody that, you know, is finan- is, a, is good with finances, mm-hmm. that's a stickler for the numbers, that's going to ask the hard questions... Uh, you know, a lot of that falls under Republican conservative principles, especially the ones that I'm espousing. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think there's a case to be made um, for if you're not willing to vote Republican on the rest of your ticket, at least looking at the auditor's office 
uh, so we can be a good steward over those you know right. programs. Well, and someone with a back with a law degree, someone with a background, strong background in data and statistics, someone who ran a very successful two thousand person firm. I mean, I, I'm not sure you could on paper construct a better auditor candidate, right? Someone who's going to be dispassionate and pro people and pro transparency. Um, it seems ideal. Yeah, it's kind of you're, you're picking, you know, between me and my candidate. You know, do you want an auditor that audits or an auditor <laughs> that stays silent? I mean, that's you know, it's it's not really a red or a blue question, but it's that's right. it's you want your auditor, you know, what kind of philosophy you want them to bring into the office? I want an auditor who audits yeah. and and make sure tax auditors are doing what they're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're, right now, if you when 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 you're elected in November, this will be your full time job, right? When you're mm-hmm. sworn in first of the year, or soon after, and then. You'll serve for four years and we'll get the job see where done. it goes. Yeah. Get the job done. Well, hopefully it would be nice to get that point across to the legislature that if you support this department, it's going to have massive dividends for you guys in terms of you know publicity to what's happening to this money. And um, yeah, and, and so do you do you work with the legislative auditor? Do you at all? Or are you totally separate? I mean, there's there's some oop, uh, there's some <laughs> collaboration, some collaboration. Um, um, but really, it's the, the jurisdiction is different. I mean, there's okay. not overlap. It's clearly defined what the legislative auditor does, the, you know, the agencies that they oversee, and what the state auditor state auditor does. Now, I know you, on the campaign trail, you probably get asked all kinds of stuff. I would get asked things where I'm like, look, this is a legislative question. I'm not running for, for emperor like the current one we have. <laughs> I'm running for governor. <laughs> so the executive branch, and there's certain things I can do. Um, you know, mentioned crime is a huge thing. Is there anything that can be done by the auditor's office to address? Oh, we can shine a light on where public, budget, where public law enforcement, you know, public safety budgets are going, right? So the communities yeah. can know, you know, here are the priorities. Here's what it's being spent on. Uh, we hear a lot about policing alternatives. Uh, at least we did, you know, after the mm-hmm. riots. Yeah. Um, that was part of the defund the police movement. Where can we go, you know, beyond policing? And again, the communities know that this is where their dollars are being spent and that, you know, it's uh, brought to the forefront. Then they can decide whether that's, you know, good or bad use of their money and they can adjust and decide if they want to keep voting for those elected officials or not. So that's a great point. I mean, these things are technically public. So my wife serves on as a city councilman or councilwoman, and they're technically public. You can go dig, but it's by no means easy to construct all of this together. So if you had a question on whether, you know, our public safety budget for the county is going to cops or water patrol or airborne patrol or any of these other things, or is it going to crisis mediators, um, you could go find it out. But it'd be kind of hard, and and that's and, and that's exactly the type of reporting that I want to be able to bring, uh, you know, to the people. So there's a lot of financial tables, right? There's a lot of mm-hmm. you know, audits, are, you know, a lot of places you do their own independent audits. There's an audit done of schools, right? They get in, they get their own private auditors to be able to audit them. You know, it's not done by the state auditor's office, but it, but and so the numbers are there. You're right, but not in a way that's digestible at the kitchen table. We talk about financial tables versus the kitchen table, and people need to know. You know, what is it actually being spent on? Like, not just fund accounting, not just high level, you know, this is what the what the money's being spent on, but things that really matter. Like, is it going to hire police officers, for right. example, right? And and I think that's, uh, you know, that's going to be my role as state auditor is to break down those numbers in a way that can be meaningful for people and actionable so they can decide, you know, is this is this a good or bad use of their, their dollars? That's very cool. Well, I think that that's something that people are definitely going to want in, you know, you say crime, schools, um, yeah, so I really am hopeful. Uh, I think obviously everyone that's uh, Republican vote for you very happily, but I, I really hope that a lot of people will go with an open mind and listen to everything that we've talked about and understand that, look, this is a really important position. I think you, in my opinion, are going to approach it in a nonpartisan, 
pro-public methodology. And, you know, even if that means asking awkward questions of various people, that's your, your job. And your job is to serve the people. Um, that's, I think, what the state needs, given the size of our budget, given $60 billion in what you'd be overseeing. And I really hope that people make a good decision in terms of choosing a professional with a great background who has a mission to uh, make sure that his tax dollars are spent well and get you elected and then keep you in there, regardless of whoever else is there. Because, you know, uh, 12 years from now, we can be interviewing you again about how, long, how great it's been to be a state auditor for that long right. and get all this money back into the hands of the public and help people spend it. Wonderful. So your website, if you want to follow you, website social. That's Wilson, that. the number 4MN. So that's wilson4mn.com. And uh, all of our socials are at RyanWilsonMN. Awesome. So you'll be excited to be done with this in a few weeks, take some vacation after <laughs> November 8th, because then life is going to get busy for you uh, after the first of the year. And I really thank you for coming by and taking time. I know this is 45 minutes or an hour, a little over an hour. It's, you know, it's, it's hard to take that much time away from the campaign trail. So I really appreciate it. Oh, this is great. That. And it's a good way to get the, you know, get our message out to the people. And, and it's been a pleasurable experience. So and I look you. forward to talking with you once you're uh, our state auditor. I like it. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it.